Man, we could just pass the offering plate and be done after that, huh? If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 8 with me. They're using one of our pew Bibles, which are kind of right up underneath the chair in front of you there. You'll find our text today on page 932. A little different tone to today's message. You know, um, since the latter part of the fall, I've had to stand up here six different times and express condolences to someone in our church family because they had lost a loved one, mom or a brother or a child. And I have to do so again today. We have two families in our church that experienced loss this week. Many of you know Paul and Claire. Paul's sitting right here on the, the aisle, third row down. And his sister, who was one of his neighbors as well, passed away sometime Monday night or Tuesday morning, and they found her on Thursday. She's 86 years old, thrilled to have her new snow shovel for the winter, ready to get at it, and going about her daily business and breathe their last. And so our sympathies go out to Paul and to Claire and to his family and the calling hours will be tomorrow morning from 9.30 to 10.30 over in Clinton. And then the service, the funeral mass will follow at St. John the Evangelist Church at 11. And then one of our own, uh, David Johnson. David was a member of my life group, was out on Monday night with us at our life group party. We kind of had our Christmas party after Christmas. And you know, we had breakfast with one of our guys on Wednesday morning. And sometime Wednesday night, he passed away in his apartment in Lemonster. And um, that service will be on Friday uh, afternoon. I'll be doing the service, but it'll be over at the Trinity Church in Bolton, where they also had, the family had deep roots from the time that they lived in Bolton. You know, it's kind of, you know, all, all these deaths, if you will, have kind of put me in a reflective mood. You know, and it's reminded me that, that often in our journey through life, with all the great things that we can learn, all the great things we can know, sometimes we just need a word of encouragement, and sometimes we just need a word of caution. And as God led me in the study of this text this week, I see words, both of those kinds of words for us. So I'm going to stay in, in the series in the, in the book of Acts. You know, we've been working through this journey and trying to ask the question of what does faith really look like? What's it supposed to be like? And we've gone back to the early church to say, this is what faith should be like. It's not perfect, but we are seeing the elements where we can see what faith is supposed to be like. And I want to read the first 25 verses for us of this chapter. Remember, this comes immediately on the heels of the death of Stephen, the very first person who died because of his faith in Christ. He was a Hellenistic Jew, which made him a little bit vulnerable in the, in the area of, of Jerusalem. He wasn't, he wasn't a Jew. Jews Jew, if you will, because Aramaic wasn't his first language. And as he spoke out for Christ, they found a crack in the Christian armor, if you will, and they pounced and Stephen died. And then we find the aftermath, starting with a follow-up, if you will. Saul agreed with putting him to death. We're going to see more of Saul in chapter 9. So Saul agreed with putting him to death. And then on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles... All except the, the, the real Jews, if you will, were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. But devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. This was an act of great courage. You know, we read and it's kind of, it seems almost like a th- throwaway kind of verse, but, but to, to actually bury anybody who had been condemned, th- that was forbidden. There were no funeral rites for those who had been condemned. And here were these guys who not only took a condemned man, Stephen, but in broad daylight were everybody to see making themselves vulnerable, they buried Stephen and they mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. The word there is almost like it's like a lion tearing the flesh off of, of its prey. It was ravaging the church. And he would enter house after house. Remember, they met in houses for services and ministry. He would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the message of good news. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached the Messiah to them. This is the Philip who believe was one of the, there's a, an apostle named Philip and then there was quote unquote a deacon named Philip. 
But since all the apostles seem to not, the apostles seem not to have been scattered, we believe that this was Philip the deacon. A layman went down to a city in Samaria and he preached the Messiah to them. The crowds paid attention with one mind. <laughs> I wonder if you're doing that right now. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and they saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy, great joy in that city. And a man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Their allegiance shifted to Christ, away from Simon, if you will. Then even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded. Simon was amazed as he observed the signs and the great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's messengers, they sent Peter and John down to them. They wanted to make sure that this was really a thing of God. And after they went down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he, he offered them money. He says, say, give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. It's like he saw, you know what, boy, if I could do that, I could make a fortune. Show me how to do this so that I can dispense the power of God through my own hands. And Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you. Really, I love the translation of J.B. Phillips. He says, may you and your money go to hell, which is really what, it, what the language really uh, lays out there. May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with men, money. That's a thought to ponder. We're not going to get to it today, but it's a thought to ponder. We think the gift of God can be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness yours, yours and, and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Please pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Then after that, then, after they had testified and spoken the message of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, evangelizing many villages of the Samaritans. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, it's always our objective when you come to Hope Chapel for you to walk out understanding the Bible better than when you walked in. We believe that the Bible contains the words of life. And one of the best things that you can do is to understand the Scripture better. So we, we always seem to have a section in our messages where we try to explain the Scripture so you understand the what that's in the Bible. Now, there's several different things I want you to see today from this text related to the what. Then we'll get into the so what, the word of encouragement and of caution. What, what we see in this text is the first orchestrated general widespread persecution of the church. There had been growing animosity with the church in Jerusalem. Peter and John had been hauled, were hauled before the Sanhedrin. All the apostles were pulled behind before the Sanhedrin. But because they were had such popularity and standing with the people, they were native, they were Jews who were native Israelites. They had grown up in Israel. They had this kind of standing, this stature in the community, and they were really kind of untouchable. But in Stephen, this Jew who 
spoke Greek, really, instead of Aramaic, who was kind of really not completely Jewish then. Somehow or another, when he became a Christian and became a, a witness for the good news, that he was more vulnerable, and they pounced on it. And when they saw the city embrace it, they picked up speed. And so, for the very first time, we see widespread persecution of the church. It's the vulnerable portion of the church. It's the Hellenistic Jews. The apostles are okay. The other native Israelites, we get the impression, are okay. But those Jews who had come back to Jerusalem, who spoke a different language as a heart language, as a first language, they were driven from the city or they were put in jail. And we see the first widespread persecution of the church. And it's a reminder to all of us that Jesus teaches us that if we're going to be his children, and we're going to walk with him, then we're going to experience difficulty in our lives because of our faith. It's just going to happen. He said, the world hated me. It's going to hate you too. It's not going to treat you, the followers, any better than it did the teacher. So just be ready that because of your faith, you're going to have difficulty in your life. The second thing we really see in this text is that we see the first, for the first time, the gospel starting to break down cultural barriers. Even, even though Jerusalem and Samaria, this area just north of it that separated it from Galilee, even though it was, um, they were close in proximity, there were huge gaps between those two. The Jews hated the Samaritans. If you remember from the times of Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, there were often times when they would leave Jerusalem, they would travel east, go down through Jericho, across the Jordan River, travel up the other side of the Jordan River, then cross back into Galilee because they didn't want to go through Samaria. You could get cooties going through Samaria, you know, and you didn't want to get spiritual cooties. Because they, they hated the Samaritans. But the Samaritans had root in the Jewish faith. If you remember your Old Testament, the northern ten tribes that became the nation of Israel, they were they, they, they went into exile at God's leadership in 922 B.C. All ten tribes were deported. Certainly there were people left in the land, but the bulk of them were sent away. And as they went away, they, the Assyrians, in order to reduce the level of nationalism across their empire, would move people in from other areas. And so they would place them in there to live. And so the people who were left intermingled with those who were deported, if you will, into the northern area. And they formed basically a new race that became known as Samaritans. They were half-breeds. The Jews considered them to be heretics and half-breeds. They, 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 they followed the law, but they had their own version of the law. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They had their own temples. And we see this guy, and there was this huge gap between the real faith and the people of this culture and this faith. And we see in the midst of persecution, the cultural barrier beginning to be lowered. And it's the first message that the gospel is supercultural. It, 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 it belongs to everyone and every time and every place. And it's beginning to break down barriers. And it's happening as the ordinary layperson being scattered by life is just sharing the good news with other people. Now, certainly in the midst of this, we have this uncommon experience where the individuals in Samaria, they come to have faith in Christ, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit. And that creates all kinds of issues for scholars and this and that, whatever. But, you know... And so they, they, they have this faith, and it's not until Peter and John get there and they pray for them and lay hands on them that they actually receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, what I, what I see happening in this text related to this breaking through is that, you know, the questions were going to reside back in the mother church, right? Those who were really there to protect the faith was, is this really faith? Is it a different kind of faith? Is this, you know, that kind of... And so they sent the two guys in the church who were beyond you know, beyond any kind of criticism, Peter and John, these were the pillars of the church, 
God has them show up in Samaria, and through their actions, God fills them with the Holy Spirit. And so there is this, there is this stamp of approval on this breaking down of the cultural barriers that cannot be questioned. And I don't believe this is to be a normative experience. This is a, is a limited experience because God is affirming the fact that I'm going to change the cultures, and I'm doing that. And you see it happening in this place. The last piece of the what is that we see the introduction for the first time into the practice of the faith of Jesus Christ, what's come to, known, come to be known as simony. Well, there's a guy in our story by the name of Simon, right? Simon's objective is to have spiritual power for personal gain. He, he, sees, what, he sees what Philip's doing. Philip's doing all these signs and wonders, and people, and spirit, unclean spirits are coming out of people, the lame are walking, the people are getting healed, etc. And then he sees Peter and John lay hands, and there's just this demonstration of God's power flowing into people. And he says, man, I can make a fortune doing that. I'll pay you. Show me how to do that. And then you have this incredible interchange between Peter and, and Simon. And we see for the very first time that man's heart can just, can just warp, can just warp the activity of God. It's interesting that, that when Luther, Martin Luther, the, the father of the, of the Reformation, led to the Protestant Reformation, you know, he used to be able to sit in his study with the windows open, and he could hear the representative from the church out in the square. And he would be yelling out in the top of his lungs. He says, by the time your money hits the bottom of my basket, your loved one will be released from purgatory. And you know, they're just selling spiritual favors, sp- selling spiritual power. You know, and, and you see this kind of sleep in. It's not been restricted to Roman Catholics, I'll tell you. And yet we see this coming in. It's very easy for us to twist the things of God to suit our own needs and to suit our own desires and power. Well, what about the so what? What about the word here that we, we can take away from today? There's several comments I want to make to you. And, and the first one I would make is, is this text should remind us that the opportunity to be an agent of grace, to fulfill our role as a witness for Christ, to share the gospel, can come in the most unlikeliest places at the most unlikely times. These guys were on the run. Their friend had been murdered. Their friends were being rounded up like criminals and stuck in prison simply because they love Jesus. And these guys have, you know, they haven't planned these trips or anything. They've just swept up whatever they could, and they've traveled out with just what they could carry in their hands, and they're moving out through the thing. They don't know where tomorrow's meal is going to come from or anything, and yet as they're traveling out, they share the good news as they're scattered. You know, and it's a reminder that no matter where we're sent, no matter how life flows, no matter how life goes, we have an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. You know, and I got, I got thinking back through my own journey, you know, some of the unusual places, you know, where I've had a chance to share my faith with people. You know, I, I you know, you, you, you hear the airplane stories, right? You know, that you're sitting, if we, I can remember being on a plane and, and, and be re, being reading a, a Christian book, you know, and almost trying to cover up the title on purpose because I was so tired I didn't want to talk to anybody, you know. You know, and then and the person next to you or across the aisle is like, what are you reading? And then they start into this conversation. It's like, all right, God, all right, all right. You know, and then you'll end up having this conversation. with You know, sometimes it's like that. I, I can remember, I, I, mean, I, I think I've told this story. It was a time when I was down pastoring the South Shore. Christina and I joined this health club. We're going to get fit, you know. And um, it didn't work very well for me. So anyways, but... 
You know, and so the first time there, you really don't have a regiment yet. I, I did way too much, swam way too much, lifted way too much. I could, I could barely, you know, kind of even raise my, my, my arms. I was so tired and, and I, so I went to, to just kind of, kind of relax in the hot tub, if you will, and recover a little bit. And I'm in there and this, there's this guy, he, he just looks totally drained, you know, and I'm saying, well, how you doing? You know, and, and, and usually when you ask guys, like, how you doing? They say, oh, I'm okay. You know, it's like, and he's like, my life stinks. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, you know, and, and you land up with an opportunity to, to share the gospel. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing the moments that God will create. And, and we should be reminded of the fact whether life is on a good trajectory or whether we're running for our lives. God creates these wonderful moments for us to be agents of grace in the lives of other people. I also want you to take away from the text a word of encouragement. You know, these guys could have been discouraged. All we were doing was standing up for Jesus. We were just doing what God asked us to do. And what are we doing? We're running for our lives and our family members and our friends are in prison. And one of our leaders is dead. They could have just run and packed it away. But they stuck to their mission. And what was the result? Verse 8, there was great joy in that city. You know, one of the things I want to say to you today is just stay in with the journey. Just stick with it because it can produce huge dividends at the end. Some of us have been on trajectories that got a lot of difficulty in them. These guys, they could have run, run away and hid, but they ran away and were faithful. And God did incredible things. Be faithful to the journey. You know, you, you, in a funeral home, you can proclaim a powerful message. From a hospital bed, you can proclaim a, ho- a wonderful message. From the dean's office or from the principal's office or from the bankruptcy court or the unemployment office, you can, you can, you can make a difference for Christ. Stick to it. Hold in there because God will honor it and use it and make a difference with it. He did with these. They could have run away and hid, but they ran away and served. And God made a huge difference with it so that a whole city came to experience great joy. Stick to it. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't toss it away. There's a word of warning in here. Simon has long troubled us when we study the scriptures. Because we read in verse 13 that Simon himself believed. But then later you have this interchange with Peter where he's told that you have no part or share at all in this matter. That he's told in the language actually is that your heart is crooked before God. That he's, that he's, he need, that he's still full of wickedness that he needs to, re, re, uh, to repent of. And that the intent of his heart is still poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Those don't sound like words that you would use to describe somebody who has faith in Jesus Christ. And, and commentators struggle with this idea of, did, did Simon have a belief that didn't lead to faith? And I, and I think there's a word of caution here for us. You know, and part, part of the reason why it strikes me, it strikes me for myself and, and for you, is that, you know, we, granted, we, we encounter death all the time. You know, you, you just, you can open the newspaper every day and there's just two pages worth of obituaries, if not more, every single day in a paper. De- death is just a part of our journey and we, we realize that it's a, it's a part of life. But it's different for us. We, we, we encounter our, we confront our mortality differently when the person who dies is somebody we were planning on having lunch with tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's one thing when somebody's been sick for a while and, or they're getting old and you know they're getting old and they're slowly lying down. And you know that this is kind of the natural end to the journey and, and they die and we, we're, we remember that that moment's coming for us, but it's not going to be today and it's not going to be tomorrow. And even when we sometimes deal with people who die accidentally. So it's, but when we, we encounter people who are part of our life flow, and then all of a sudden they're just gone. It confronts us completely differently. Like, am I really ready? Am I living my life with an awareness that today could be it? And in the midst of that, God steps in and says, 
is your belief really faith? You see, you know, you look at Simon in this text, and, and Simon is mesmerized. He's just mesmerized by the signs and the wonders. Three different times it tells us he's amazed. He's amazed at what he sees. He's amazed at what he sees. And he was fascinated with the medium of the message, but not with the message. He was fascinated with the medium of the message, the way it was delivered, the way it was presented, the things that went with it, but the actual message itself never really gripped. Maybe his mind was engaged. Maybe his heart was touched, but his will never changed, his character. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I've been pastoring in New England for a long, long time now, uh, and and it was it was particularly frustrating to me when I was planting the church in the South Shore. You know, we're six months to a year into it. You know, we had 40, 50 people. We were just, it, it was like hand-to-hand combat, trying to find people to be a part and et cetera, and try to get steps forward. And if you come across these people, they came from these big-name churches from the South. You know, just, I mean, churches that had Sunday school classes that are bigger than Hope Chapel. I mean, these massive churches, you know, that got huge buildings and multiple staff and et cetera. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the people were like, well, we're looking for a church like we had back home. And I'm thinking, well, the nearest one's about 1,800 miles away, you know. And, and they wouldn't go anywhere. They just stayed home. They just stayed home. Because what they were engaged by was how the message got delivered. The big buildings, the air conditioning, the multiple staff, the lighting and sound systems that could rival Broadway and Opryland. I mean, that, that's the stuff that it meant. But when, when it didn't have the same packaging, eh, I'm not so sure about the message anymore. I, I'm not sure I want to go to a church that meets in a Grange Hall or in a school building. And, and we have that challenge to us. I got to tell you, I, I think where we can look at this text and hear this word of caution flows from this. <laughs> She's over that way, Gabriel. They don't prepare you this for a seminary, you know. <laughs> Never once in my preaching lab did I have a kid walk down the middle. No, anyways. This is why I carry notes. I want you to look at Simon from a different slant and see if there's a message to you and to me from this slant. Simon was mesmerized by what God could do. He was mesmerized by what God could do. He, 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 boy, he saw the unclean spirits being cast out. He, he saw the lame getting up and walking. He saw the sick being healed. You know, he, he saw the manifestation of the power of God entering into people's lives. And he was mesmerized by what God could do. But he had never been moved by what God had done in Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes in our spiritual journeys, where we are so interested in God for what he can do in our lives, everything he can fix about us and, and the pathway he can lay out before us. And, and we're really not taken by what God has done in Jesus Christ. And, and faith starts with what God has done and it flows into what God is doing in us. I mean, Jesus never wanted us to forget what he did, right? That's why we have these elements laying on our communion table today. He gave us the bread and the cup to, so that we would never forget what he did and what that means about how we relate to him. And we, we need to be cautious today that we don't have a belief in what God can do, but we have a faith in what God has done and therefore will do in who we are. This isn't about once saved, always saved, or any of that kind of thing. This is about experiencing faith the way it's supposed to be. Faith the way it's supposed to be starts at the cross in our need for a Savior. Our faith, if it's genuine faith, if it's moved beyond belief to faith, will change our minds, it will change our hearts, it will change our wills. <laughs> God gives us a privilege today of living faith the way it's supposed to be lived. Let's pray together. Father, in the quietness of our hearts, we ask you to search us and try us. Father, I, I don't know if there's any greater challenge for us spiritually 
than recognizing in ourselves the difference between belief and faith. We give you these moments to speak to us and to change us as we embrace you for what you have done and therefore what you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.